Blog Talk Radio. Hello, you're listening to Being a Leader Live with Brenda Baird, a radio show about leadership. Whether you're a first-time manager or a seasoned executive, this show will get you thinking about the essential skills a leader must master. I'm your host, Brenda Baird. Each episode of Being a Leader draws on my 35-plus years of experience in building teams and leading people to get work done. I offer practical advice, professional coaching, and creative new ways of thinking about common leadership challenges. Along with hosting this radio program, I'm a certified professional coach and energy leadership master practitioner. My coaching practice serves organizations both large and small. I specialize in emerging talent, managers, teams, and high potential individuals. If you or your organization is looking for an innovative support to help reach your full potential, check out my website for a complete list of my services. That's brindabairdcoaching.com. Now, as a reminder, the show is live and I take callers. So the number to call in today's show is 646. 646- 716-9397, and press 1 to get in the queue. You know, on our last show, we discussed leading when you're not the boss. We talked about positional power versus personal power and how developing good relationships with your colleagues or managers is beneficial when you need to get the work done with and through others that you have absolutely no formal authority over. I shared my five-step process to help you when you're collaborating with others, even those that are maybe a little more difficult to influence. My five-step approach works whether you are assigned the lead role of a project or if you find yourself in some sort of leadership vacuum. The five steps to move you to a leadership role are these. Set your goals and your priorities first. Think methodically. Explore lessons learned along the way. Engage others. Provide constructive feedback. And in doing those five things, the experience you develop in practicing them will help you to develop and grow as an influencer, leader, or manager. And I really want to thank everybody for listening to the program and for sharing your thoughts and ideas for future program topics. I'm particularly humbled by the feedback I got from the last show. So if you missed it, Leading When You're Not the Boss, just head over to my website, brindabairdcoaching.com, under the radio show page, You'll find the archives for the show and every show that's broadcast on being a leader. The most requested topic that I got from the listeners is, what do I do once I get promoted and now I'm managing a team of more experienced coworkers 
and my former peers. This is an absolutely terrific topic and a wonderful way for us to continue our conversation about leading. I understand this next step in leadership is a big leap, and it may feel overwhelming moving from an individual contributor role to the role of leading others. However, you earned the promotion, and that's really exciting news. Now, it is understandable that the moment you realize that your good fortune means disappointment for your coworkers who didn't get the job, it may trigger some feelings of doubt. Maybe you were promoted over people who have more years of experience or peers who are friends or rivals. In any case, power relationship is inevitably altered. Now remember from last week's show, true leadership is never a matter of formal authority. Leaders are effective when the people around them acknowledge them as being the leader. A title does not make a leader. A real leader is set apart by his or hers attributes, attitudes, and behaviors. So let's start with the first part of this topic, leading people who have more experience or who are older than a newly promoted leader. Now, again, if you want to join the show, if you have questions, the number to call in is 646-716-9397. Press 1 to get in the queue. I would really love to hear your thoughts about this topic. I'd love to answer any questions. Or maybe even if you want a quick coaching session to help you unblock something that's in your way around this particular topic. And if you're not able to call in, you can send your questions to Brenda at BrendaBairdCoaching.com. You know, youth can present a unique set of leadership challenges. And despite America's obsession with young leaders, traditional organizational and societal designs create a culture where elders are shown regard simply because they have more experience. So when older employees end up reporting to younger leaders, it shifts the social norm that people grew up with. What I've seen is that it makes everyone just a little bit uncomfortable. Employees having a younger boss can feel like a slight, you know, particularly if they were aiming for the position. And for the younger leader, a common misstep is an attempt to diffuse this awkwardness by asserting authority to gain respect. Now, when using this approach, this asserting authority to gain respect, there is a high probability that employees will react in an inappropriate way, which can then further reinforce the belief that the newly promoted is an arrogant, inexperienced leader and has been undeservingly promoted. In some circumstances, the best approach is the most direct approach. So what I recommend young leaders do is to acknowledge and recognize the more senior employees for having those years of experience. Experience that is valuable to the team. This approach eases the awkwardness and gives the leader access to that more senior employee skill set. 
Now, the big news today for modern workplace is that industry data shows us 62% of full-time millennial employees manage the work of others, 62%. That's versus 65% of the Gen Xers and 46% of the baby boomers. It's a responsibility millennials have just recently gained. 85% of those managers from the millennial generation say they just moved into their role between the years of 2009 and 2014. So as the millennials continue to climb the corporate ladder, more leaders will find themselves managing older employees. Age difference can cause some unspoken tension. And a young leader is well advised to take an effort to build personal bonds with those older individuals. Now, this can be accomplished by simply talking about some common interests, such as travel, sports, or an interest that you both can relate to. Being able to engage and communicate, quite frankly, will ease the tension. Now, for younger leaders, it is important to remember that just because older employees want to work doesn't mean that they want to be in charge. Many older employees want to be active and challenged without all the responsibility of running the business. Each generation exhibits a different work style and with that carries a different perception of the other generations which again can cause some challenges. One of them is around the perceived difference in work ethic. For instance, older workers tend to believe in FaceTime at the office. So they will typically show up to work early, sometimes work through lunch and even on the weekends. While younger workers were raised in the internet era, so for them, it doesn't necessarily matter where the work gets done, as long as the work gets done and it gets done well. Older workers are used to meeting more frequently to discuss projects and goals. And those meetings are typically held face-to-face, -face, whereas a younger leader is more likely to hand an employee a project and let that person run with it. The communication styles may be different too. As a younger leader may tend to say, shoot me an email. And the older worker may see this as a non-engaged leader who really doesn't care. In any case, technology in the workplace can be a real sticking point between generations. I have personally led teams that span multiple generations, from college students to individuals who've worked for the company for 30 years. It can be challenging, but if the leader keeps in mind the generational diversity of the team, things will run smoother. Beyond relating to older employees on a personal level, I also suggest that you give credit where credit is due, that you treat people like the experts they are. You know, being an effective leader is recognizing when your employees no more than you do. I have worked with people who have had advanced degrees. They are extremely educated. And in a lot of cases, they had a deeper subject matter knowledge than I did. It's okay. 
as a leader, you're not expected to know everything about everything, but you are expected to respectfully harness the people and the resources to get things done. Listening to and acknowledging an individual's input is another important step towards gaining respect. So in your first 30 days on the new job, meet with all of the team leads, as well as several other individuals in the organization who work directly with your team, and ask them a series of questions. Questions like, what are the biggest constraints for my team? What are the greatest opportunities my team has today? What can my team and me do better? What should we continue doing and what should we start doing to improve? Now, just listening is not enough. If you listen, but you don't do anything to acknowledge, address, or consider the feedback, well, you're not getting anything out of the exercise, and it's really just a waste of your time. But most importantly, it's your reputation as a leader. It'll be diminished in the eyes of your staff. So listen, and then take action on the things you can and search for ways to address or explain why some things need to be the way they are. Then share that information and that feedback at an all-hands meeting. So to recap real quickly here, if you find yourself managing or leading people who are older than you, lead from a place of personal power, not positional power. Acknowledge and recognize the senior employee's experience and knowledge. Leverage that knowledge to help educate and elevate your team. Find common ground to engage conversation and interaction with your older and more experienced employees. Research and embrace generational differences. Keep these differences in mind when you're looking for a project update, planning a meeting, communicating important details, or even planning a team event. Good questions and listen. Then take some kind of action to communicate to everyone. And finally, be respectful of everyone's expertise. I have a saying that I often share with young leaders I'm coaching, and it goes like this. If you want to be truly successful in business, surround yourself with people who are smarter, faster, and more experienced than you. Because amazing things will happen, and everyone will be lifted, including you. So if you have any comments about this particular part of today's show, or perhaps you want to share a story or some additional advice for helping to lead people who are older, give us a call, 646-716-9397, and press 1 to get in the queue. I really would love to hear from you. 
in today's modern workplace, you know, upward mobility can come quickly, especially in places where there's rapid business growth. It's quite common that internal promotions are used to help fill, fill key positions, you know, more efficiently. So let's take a look at the second part of today's show. Let's say that you are one of the young leaders to get a promotional opportunity. There's a good chance you'll wind up managing people who were once your peers. This can be awkward too, but it doesn't have to be. With the right approach, newly promoted managers can earn the respect of their employees and keep the group moving forward. Here are just a few tips for leading your former peers. The first one is step confidently into the new role, but to remain humble. You've got the job for a reason. There's no need to feel guilty or hesitant about stepping into that leadership space. In fact, you should be quite proud of yourself. But at the same time, however, understand that things could have gone differently. You might have been the best person for the job, but you're not the only person at the job. Stay humble. The best leaders are humble leaders. Workplace problems are increasingly complex, and no one person will ever have all the answers. The end goal here is what can we do together to problem solve and get work done? So contribute your piece and then step back. It's not just humility in creating a space for others to contribute. It's also intellectual humility. Because without that humility, you're unable to learn. Okay, the next point is pay attention to relationships. Be sensitive to the fact that some folks might feel resentful or anger. Perhaps they'll think that they deserve the job more than you. I've seen it happen many times, and I've learned that handling these situations is easier if you've already cultivated that strong, solid relationship with your team. Here's where that leading when you're not the boss skill comes to really pay off. Now, that doesn't mean you should try to be everybody's buddy. When your peers are also your friends outside the office, it can be far more challenging for them to accept a transition to subordinate. The safest route in this particular situation is to be cordial and non-competitive with your direct reports in the workplace while maintaining some personal distance from them. Now, if you treat your former peers in the same transparent way that you've always treated people who work for you, you'll show them you haven't become a different person as the result of the promotion. You're not suddenly better than they are in any way. You've just become the leader. The next point is to really be clear about your expectations for performance. Of course, becoming the boss means now it's your responsibility to manage the group effectively. So establish early on what you expect from your team and 
you will need them to do in order to meet objectives. Then quickly assess who will be able to commit to those expectations and who won't. Hopefully you've maintained strong enough relationships that your new employees already have a deep respect for you and understand your expectations. If not, or if you're dealing with someone who just can't handle the change, fortunate next steps involve coaching them into alignment with your goals or somehow managing them out. Sometimes, you know, despite our best of intentions and our efforts, people will leave. And if they can't meet your expectations, then their departures probably might be for the best. The next point is to tell the team what, you ex what they could expect from you. If you move quickly to communicate with your team about what you expect from them, you've got a good start in your new role. But you also have to look at leadership as being in service for the people who work for you. I like to call this service leadership. This is one of the things that I think distinguishes a great leader from a mediocre one. It's this ability to be empowering to the team as opposed to just being in positional power. You know, respect cannot be commanded. It can only be earned. And you do this by outlining how your team can expect you to work on their behalf. I remember very, very early in my career, I had a new boss. It was a boss that I inherited. It wasn't one that I had interviewed with or had worked with before, but came to me and said, I'm not here to tell you what to do. You know what to do. I'm here to give you what you need to succeed. What a breath of fresh air, knowing that she was there to unlock the resources I needed to do my job better. This, in my opinion, is how leaders create leaders. If you someday find yourself managing former peers, trust that there's a good reason that you received the promotion. Rely on the solid relationships you've built and keep strengthening them by opening a two-way dialogue about expectations. The change can and should be a positive one for the entire group. You're now in a position to help these folks in a way that you couldn't as their peer. So if everyone collaborates, you will all thrive. Now I'd like to make a recommendation on this topic. There are three books that I think are really great augments to this topic. The first one is called uh, Sticking Points how to get four generations to work together. And there's 12 spots that author Hayden Shaw feels that generations can get stuck and actually cause problems in the workplace. This is a fantastic book for getting a real understanding of what those generations are. For the first time, we have four generations in the workplace and we're getting ready for the fifth one 
to enter the workplace as well. And what they look like, what their value systems are, and what are the reasons that have occurred in their life that have shaped them and their beliefs. So it's a fascinating read. And if you want to study and embrace generational differences, Sticking Points is a great book, Sticking Points by Hayden Shaw, about learning about generations. The other book I would recommend is called The New Leader 100-Day Action Plan by George B. Brandt. This book comes with downloadable forms that can help you to get organized those first 100 days. And it gives you a fantastic detailed description about what is a priority in those early days of entering into a new leadership role. I, I use this over and over. And there's actually pieces of the book that I recommend a leader do even after they've been there for, you know, a year or two years. It's called the manager assimilation process, where it just continues to allow the leader to get feedback from their staff on how things are going. It is an ongoing communication, a dialogue between the leader and their staff that really gets the most out of people. And then the last book I would recommend is called The Servant Leader by James A. Authory. This book really gets down to what I was trying to get to earlier about being in a leadership role. We are actually in service to the people that we employ. Our jobs as a leader is to provide wisdom, vision, communicate that vision, and to also create other leaders. That means opening doors for people, finding opportunities for people, championing your high potential so that they get moved up within the organization. So many times people will tell me that, you know, they're hesitant to do that because they're afraid that their employees will sort of pass them up. I'm here to tell you as a servant leader, you will rise with the people that you develop and grow into leaders too. And I often use these three books as a reference when I'm, um, when I'm coaching my employee uh, clients and they find them very useful, uh, especially that 100 day book. So let's, uh, real quick here, let's check our inbox for questions. Okay, the first email that I have is from Joe in New York. Hi Joe. He says, I want to talk more about close personal relationships and then becoming their supervisor. It's uncomfortable for me. What really makes it tough is I've gotten to know this guy fairly well. I know he has a wife and two kids, just bought a new house, so he has debt like the rest of us. Sometimes he just doesn't cut it. I've tried using other close I've tried using our close friendship as leverage to say, hey, man, I need you to do this for me because we're friends. But his performance keeps slipping. And if it were anyone else, they would already be terminated by now. I'm really reluctant to say anything because I don't want him to stop liking me. Joe, this is really a great question. And I really appreciate you bringing it forward about how you're challenged by this and how having a close personal relationship has sort of got you in a bind now. It's 
it's really a slippery slope, and I can understand why you feel a little uptight about it. It's especially slippery if you were close to this friend prior to the promotion, which it sounds like you may have been. Or perhaps you thought that being close friends, you could better influence him. I'm not really sure what the situation is. But the problem is when you allow close personal ties with subordinates for any reason, you'll struggle as a manager. You just won't be able to make the tough decisions necessary. You won't even be able to evaluate the person accurately. And if you continue to make exceptions for your friends, the other employees will see this as favoritism and your morale will suffer. And favoritism can really be almost a complainable item to HR. So it's really something, it's a big watch out here. You really need to consider the difference between being a boss and being a friend. So for example, friendship is not a means to an end, just getting work done. It's a supportive connection with other people. But that supportive connection is not what drives the boss-subordinate relationship. What I mean is friends and boss are not the same. Now, friends are equal. Inside the organization, the boss and direct report, they are not equal. There is authority there. You know, friends don't check up on each other all the time. Well, healthy friends don't check up on each other. But a manager has to continually press for progress updates and evaluate that progress. And my one final thought about this is it is very difficult to be friends with all your employees equally. So to be friends equally with everyone all the time is very, very difficult to do and meet the expectations of your boss. So this is a slippery slope. I think uh, my advice to you, uh, Joe, would be to really, you know, do some reflective thinking and then have a really get real conversation with your employee about what roles are, what he could expect, where his performance is lacking, what you need him to do to improve, and try to help coach him out of the situation and be very clear that from this moment forward, you're the boss and he's the direct report. So good luck with that, Joe. That's a, that's a tricky one, but a really great question. Thank you so much. I have another email here from Kathy from Ohio. Kathy says, I work on a sales team that is made up of what I would call my friends. We socialize outside of work, and some are older than me. Our boss recently retired, and three of us applied for the job, and I was selected. I'll be taking over on November 14th. What would you suggest I do on day one? Oh, <laughs> day one. Well, Kathy, I wish you would have called in live because this is exactly the question that I would have asked you. What are you going to do on day one? You know, Kathy, no two leaders first day will ever be the same. But don't ever underestimate the power of the first day in a new role. There's a lot of watch outs here, but be careful that you don't let someone else design your day. 
Here's what I mean. Day one is not a day for unpacking. It's not a day to fill out forms. It's not a day to set up your desk. Day one is important and you need to plan it with great care. Keep in mind, the people that you'll be leading, change of leadership impacts people's lives. And they are just waiting and trying to figure out what, what it's going to be like to have you for a boss. So day one, you want to think about whom will you meet with and in what order. And it's important. Know what you're going to say but carry a bias with you to listen. Keep things very brief, on point, and meaningful. Beware of all the ways that you communicate, even well beyond your words, the way that you carry your body, the way that you maybe uh, normally would think about things. Maybe when you think, maybe you frown. Keep in mind all the physical expressions and words that you use. It all is critically important on that day one. I'm even a fan of keeping the words very, very simple with introductions. You know, hello, it's nice to be here, or I'm very excited to get started, and then not much else at that point. Because what you need to do is craft your message, the message you want your team to hear, and it needs to be delivered delivered very deliberately. So day one is not the day for the major message, but it is a day where it sort of sets the stage for who you are. So day one, critically important. Check out that book I mentioned, The New Leader's 100-Day Action Plan. It is filled with ideas and best practices for the first 100 days in a new leadership role. And again, day one is one of those really, really critical days. So thanks. Those were really, really great questions. And let's take one more look. I think, I think we've got them all. So thank you, everyone, for those great questions. Now, be sure to tune in Tuesday, November 8th at 8 p.m., 7 p.m. Central Time, for a special Thanksgiving episode. Now, I know it's a little bit early for Thanksgiving. It's November 8th, and Thanksgiving isn't until the end of the month. But this episode is going to be called Taming the Turkey We All Stress Once and for All. It's going to be a fun show where we're going to talk about holiday stress. We're going to look at it in a very humorous way. But at the end of the show, you're going to have some real strategic key steps to take to remove the stress of coming together and having expectations not met around special holiday time with family and friends. So tune in November 8th for Taming the Turkey, We Call Stress Once and for All. That's November 8th at 8 p.m., 7 p.m. Central Time, right here on the Life Coach Radio Network. So if there aren't any more questions, I think that's a wrap, Tommy. So until next time, be safe and have fun. Bye, everybody.